0: everybody thanks so much for coming back to grief is my side hustle i'm excited to offer you this conversation with megan mccutcheon today megan and i have known each other from a training a while back she's really special she's got great energy and she does really important work in her therapy practice With moms, there's so much grief and loss connected to what you thought having a baby was going to be, the process of having a baby, what's going on inside your body. Come join us as we talk as moms to each other about that process and also as therapists who understand how difficult that process can be for women and how to treat it. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. I am really excited this morning to have Megan McCutcheon here with me. She and I met at an EMDR training a while back with Dan Merlis, who's one of our region's master EMDR trainers. Megan reached out to me and said, hey, I have so much that I want to talk to you about, particularly around grief and loss that has to do with new mothers, So I'm just gonna give you her bio real quick. Megan is a licensed professional counselor and certified perinatal mental health practitioner in private practice in Northern Virginia. She specializes in working with women who are experiencing mood and anxiety disorder during pregnancy and following childbirth. She's also trained in EMDR, is passionate about helping victims of trauma and abuse and enjoys helping adolescents and adults to achieve a better quality of life, decrease depression, and Managing Anxiety by Improving Self-Esteem. She's published four books. Man, that's impressive. Four books on the topic of building self-esteem. And for more information, we will put her website in our show notes. Megan, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to reconnect with you and talk more about this topic.
0: I know. We were just saying off mic that the last time I saw you, you were very pregnant. So, I was pregnant. Yes. That's right. And that
1: was almost four years ago. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: so tell me in, you have a specialty that's pretty specific the same way that I do grief and loss is pretty specific. And my bias and my belief is that people are drawn to those particular things for a reason that is probably personal. So can you tell us a little bit about how you
1: chose Definitely. the specialty
0: and became a therapist and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I got into the specialty of perinatal mental health, specifically after my own experience with perinatal anxiety. So the story is I had, it was actually my second baby and just felt really off. I was like super confused, super anxious. Making decisions was really difficult for me. I just felt like in this total brain fog and, you know, as a therapist, I'd been a therapist for about a decade and I had always heard of postpartum depression but I was like, but I'm not sad. Like, I'm not crying. I'm not having problems bonding with my baby. I'm overall happy. I just feel like I'm in this fog. So I convinced myself it's it must just be the stress of adjusting to having two kids rather than one. Um, and so I went on for a little bit. And then I had this one experience where both of my kids were crying And I just felt so overwhelmed. I remember going down into the basement in my house, and I literally had the thought would I feel better throwing my baby down the stairs or slitting my wrists? Pretty graphic thoughts. Terrifying. And immediately I was like, okay, I know that is a symptom of postpartum depression. So I ended up going to my doctor, letting her know I got on medication for a little while. My doctor was fabulous when I told her. She said, oh yeah, I had thoughts of throwing my baby in the pot of chili, which Uh, was so sweet of her to normalize it and uh, not make me feel like I was crazy. And luckily I knew enough to know, okay, this is just a symptom of postpartum. It's not, you know, me really losing it or being a bad mom. Uh, But I was just so curious about why my symptoms were so different than what I had ever heard in terms of postpartum depression So I started doing some research and just kind of Googling whatever I could. And that's when I found postpartum support international and found out there's all these other disorders besides just postpartum depression. There's postpartum anxiety, postpartum OCD. There can be PTSD, bipolar, psychosis, and and depression and psychosis were the only two I was really aware of. So I was just fascinated by this and went on to do the training and just loved the work and become certified and just really kind of shifted my focus in my practice to really helping new moms and to spread awareness regarding all the different things that can happen.
0: Yeah. The awareness feature is the one that to me feels as mental health professionals, there's so much that we do inside our offices that seem almost like normal to us, but we are also women of the world. And so we know those sorts of things are not discussed outside of office doors. And so part of what I appreciate for you being on the podcast, is that we're now going to talk about something that hopefully someone listening will have ears on and say, Hey, this sounds like something that deserves treatment, or it sounds like something that that woman was talking about. It's definitely not something that I should be suffering with. Because I think one of the things that happens is when you don't know something exists, you pathologize yourself. This is just me. I'm a bad mom. I have these terrible feelings this is not an area that I have delved that deep into. What can you tell me about what the science says about why there's such disruption of mood in pregnancy? Is it hormone-based?
1: Yeah, you know, honestly, the research doesn't really have an answer or, or science isn't really up to speed enough to know for sure. But the theories are definitely, there's a lot of hormonal shifts and hormonal changes going on. One of the theories is that, it's the drop in estrogen, especially postpartum. Um, Once we deliver that baby, deliver the placenta, there's this immediate drop in estrogen and estrogen is a precursor to serotonin, the chemicals in the brain that keep us feeling happy and regulated. We don't know specifically how it all happens and why it happens for some women more so than others. There's lots of different risk factors. But it's just, it's all this stuff, the risk factors, the hormonal shifts, yes. the changes in chemicals that all just sort of make up this perfect cocktail for somebody that might get it, might be predisposed to it. One of
0: my guests that I spoke to, but I haven't published the broadcast yet is it talks about menopause. And mm-hmm. yeah. so what you were just talking about estrogen and serotonin, that was a conversation I had with her about weight gain yeah. and mood disorder after so it seems all linked to me in terms of what you're just describing, which is these hormones are connected to our ability to have a stable mood. And obviously when you're delivering a baby out of your body and there's parts of that is it means that you're going to be losing your hormonal balance in the way that it had been for the past 40 weeks, you would expect there to be a pretty dramatic response to that. But also what I just heard you say is there's other factors, probably like your base biology and how well Mm -hmm. supported you are in your life and in your world.
1: Yeah. And then just the, you know, external factors of what's happening in your life, what happens during your pregnancy, what happens, you know, during the birth, during postpartum, what's the temperament of your baby. I mean, I was so excited to talk to you because when I saw you were doing this podcast, I immediately contacted you because I think grief and perinatal mood and anxiety disorders just really go hand in hand because there's so much that can happen. And there's so much that women and, you know, couples and partners and everybody involved in this journey to have children go through. And there's a lot of grief and loss that can be involved and certainly, any form of grief and loss ends up being a risk factor for developing mood and anxiety disorders in that period yeah. of time.
0: Tell us how you see it show up. It's one thing that I'm thinking about is mothers who have had previous pregnancy loss. The one thing that they report is that being pregnant is not neutral and blissful, that there's an anxiety mm-hmm. and terror Absolutely. having had a previous loss. And, you know, that they have resentment for other people who just love being pregnant or, you know, however it is. And so you're right in, in describing that as sort of a form of grief, right? Like I expected to be happy. I am anxious and terrified Mm -hmm. all the time. And that has just like in your world, when you're grieving, your mood impacts the people around you. You don't want to go out to lunch. You're annoyed at your boss. Right. It is. Will you elaborate a little bit on how you see that showing up with people that you're working with?
1: I actually made a list that I want to go through just to, to make sure I touch on everything and then we can expand upon different parts. But you know, the first way is certainly infertility. So for anyone that has a difficult time conceiving, there's so much grief. There's grief around, you know, what if I never have the family I imagined? What if I never become a mom? What if this never happens for me. So there's a lot of grief involved with that. There's like you said, seeing other women that are pregnant, maybe spending time with friends who are pregnant or have babies can be really difficult and just really kind of stir up that grief. And then certainly loss, miscarriage. I had a miscarriage prior to my son where I had the the postpartum anxiety. And yeah, that that's probably a part of it. There was a lot of anxiety during that pregnancy of is this baby going to stick? You know, is, is it going to be okay? Am I going to make it all the way through? Then there's moms and parents who have babies with fetal fetal abnormalities or birth defects. So finding out the news that something's medically wrong with your baby. There's a lot of grief in that grief around, this isn't the child I imagined. This isn't the life I imagined. Another one that I talk a lot about with moms that that really isn't normalized and really isn't talked about outside of therapy is gender revealed disappointment. Uh So there's a lot of moms that find out, you know, you're having a boy and they're devastated because they imagine having a little girl. And that was something that was really important to them. So before they're able to celebrate the child that they are having, they do need to go through this grieving process of grieving the gender of the baby that, they're not having. Yeah. And that's really big. And there's a lot of guilt around that because, you know, you should be happy. You should be excited.
0: That's so why I have three kids. You have three kids that experience. We, we waited to find out the genders yeah. at, at the birth. And I had a therapist at the time who was like, Oh no, we're going to talk this through because when I was having Lucy, my daughter, she knew, I think probably from trauma history and all that, that I would likely actually care. So she knew that. And also she had seen other people have not maybe as much profound disappointment about the gender, but guilt about how they felt when they heard. Right. Yeah, like exactly. Boy and like, oh shit, I was hoping for a girl. And this is a story that's known to my family. So my third so I, have you know, a girl and two boys and, and with Lucy, I really felt like she was a girl with Daniel. I really felt like he was a boy. And with Nicholas, I thought he was a girl. Yeah. mostly because I was felt really sick when I had Lucy. So, and when I felt sick with Nick, I was like, Oh, well, that's probably it. He's a girl. And when the doctor told me, I did have this minute, mm-hmm. it was 90 seconds where I was like, shit, I thought Lucy was going to get a sister.
1: Yeah. It
0: was a moment. It was a moment where I was like, that wasn't what I was expecting. I'm not sure it's what I wanted. And then my poor husband, I mean, we were, you know, I was like barely holding Nikki in my arms. And my husband was like, are you going to want to have another baby now? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I don't think so. I think we're done at three, but I do think being able to even normalize that ahead of time is so like, look, that's let's just talk about it. Like lots of women feel this way. Lots of husbands feel this way. Yeah. Permission.
1: Yeah. I felt it with all three and it was so crazy. I just always thought I was going to have a boy first. I just thought I was going to be a boy mom. And when we were in the sonogram room and they said, it's a girl, I was silent. I was just completely thrown off. And I remember driving home and just being really sad. And I was like, well, I guess now I have someone to pass down all my old childhood dolls to. Like, that's like the only positive <laughs> I could find in that moment. Yeah. And then I really wanted, after that, I really wanted another girl because I grew up with two sisters. Mm. And so then when my second, we found out it was a boy, I was again like, she's, she's like going to have a sister close in age. And then the same thing with my third. So then I had a girl and a boy, but I still really wanted my daughter to have a sister. And then I had a boy and, you know, I was a little upset and it took yeah. me a while. And I also had, I didn't have a boy name, but I had a girl name picked out. Yes, There was a lot of grief for me in terms of like, cause, cause then we kind of knew we were done at three. Like, I'm never going to get to use this girl name that I had. And now, of course, I can't imagine it very differently. I love them all. The dynamic between them is great. But yeah, it, it was an experience I wasn't prepared for. And I have a lot of clients that I work with that are surprised by the grief that they feel around finding out the gender.
0: Yeah. And again, I, you know, as therapists, I think it's important to know when to use your own pieces of self-disclosure to normalize those things, to be able to say I felt that way. Right. Like one of the things that I do just in parenting in general is when people are having a hard time, I will throw in somewhere a vignette about me screwing up with my kids or not liking them. I think, again, it's pretty normal to have frustration, you know, just like you don't like your husband or your wife for a moment or your partner or your mother. You also don't like your kids. That doesn't mean that, you you know, don't love them. And I think with Mm -hmm. feelings, and this is really true in grief, what, what happens in grief is that people are overwhelmed by feelings they don't normally have. Yeah, What you you and I know is we have the multiplicity of feelings. We can have them all starting at age two-ish and it doesn't make you the feeling. You are not an angry person because you have anger. You just have anger and anger will move through your body. But one of the things that happens with grief is that you feel this loss that you didn't expect. And you don't know, you don't know what it means and you don't know how to handle. And, and I think this is particularly important for women and I've seen it a lot with pregnancy and pregnancy loss and infertility, more infertility than anything, there is a powerful amount of anger. Yes. Shows up and comes in almost as a protective mechanism in IFS. We say it's like, it's a part that comes in to sort of protect you from the overwhelming grief. So you're just pissed that you've been, Pregnant for a year, and your stupid cousin got pregnant on the first trip. Yeah. She doesn't know that you've been, and you want to kill her, and you don't want to go to her yeah. baby shower, and you don't want to buy her a present, and you can't be polite to her on the phone. And that makes you feel like a bad person.
1: Yeah. And then there's so much guilt surrounding that because a lot of times we don't normalize in our society that anger is a big part of grief, and it's okay. It's an emotion you have to go through. The other place where I see that showing up is in birthing when sometimes somebody has this birth plan and this idea, and it doesn't go according to plan. you know, They end up with an emergency C-section rather than a vaginal delivery. And they, there is, there's grief around the loss of not having things go how they had always envisioned it. And then there's guilt around feeling the grief and feeling the anger because you know I should feel happy that I have this healthy baby. Why am I hung up on the fact that you know, things didn't go the way I wanted them to.
0: Yeah. As you're talking about that, again, sort of grief in general, if we pull it out, one of the things that happens with guilt and regret and a conversation that I have with clients all the time and really is a core knowing from my own experience, losing my mom and my dad is that the concept of how regret as it is, is a response to the belief that you could have done something different, Right. Right. And so if we go underneath that, what that is, is sort of a protective covering around the idea that we are sort of helpless around stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. We don't. Right. We don't have control. Yeah. Right. So like
0: I remember my you know, my doctor was like, what's your birth plan? And my mom was like, what are you asking like, what do you mean? What is her birth plan? Her birth plan is to have a baby. Yeah. And you know, like <laughs> right. when my mom had, you know, my mom was like 20 or 21 when she had her first baby, nobody asked her, how do you yeah. feel about this? Or how would you like this to go down? It was like, you come yeah. to the hospital, we help you have a baby. So the concept around the grief around expectations yeah. and yeah. the grief around really what we're talking about is that existential unbelievably powerful concept that is hard for us to take in ever, which is we're not really in control. We're not in control of what our body's doing when it's having a baby. The doctor is not
1: in control. We're all just reacting sort of the best we can. Exactly. And anything can happen. Yeah. We have no idea what's going to end up going down. And it's a really fine line to walk in terms of like, do we do a birth plan? Do we not? Because for moms that I work with who are pregnant and who are sort of prone to anxiety. Yeah. It's great to talk about a birth plan in terms of like, how do you foresee this going? How do you want it to go? Do you want to have a playlist for when you're in labor? You know, What do you want to bring to the hospital? We also have to really make sure we're talking about this is an ideal plan. It might not go this way at all. And you have to be accepting of of that fact. I'm always really careful around the word birth plan. It's like a birth wish. It's right. not so much how it's actually going to be, because when people get so tied to that birth plan and it doesn't work out, that's when the grief really shows up strongly. I think as
0: therapists, part of what is important is to help people own their disposition around these things, right? So when you right. can identify for someone, listen whether we're diagnosing them with anxiety or we're just saying you're you tend towards anxious around mm-hmm. this topic. Part of what we're saying is anxiety is anticipating something, you know, bad in the future happening. So you're tr- trying to front load a lot of control. You're trying to yeah. front load a lot of, well, if we, if we just make sure we've talked to this person and we go there and we do this by eight 30, then it will all be okay. Right. And what really, when we're working with someone who's anxious, what we want them to understand is it's really about the recovery. When people are talking about resiliency, that's really what they're talking about is the recovery around mm-hmm. something unexpected? How do mm-hmm. I recover? And I think because resiliency is like this new catchword, I think what people are implying with resiliency is people who didn't have any bad feelings and just kept going. And that's mm-hmm. not what we mean. What we mean is having the bad feelings, giving them the heavy, dark grief, loss, pain, getting yeah. in it, being in it.
1: Moving giving, through it, right. Moving
0: through it. And then, you know, continuing in, in, In trauma, we call that traumatic growth, right? Which is your life didn't end at the trauma. You did what you needed to do to get through. And then your life continued informed by that, but not necessarily limited, not less than, not worse, right? And so there's that concept around if you have an anxious mom, being able to sort of help her infuse the idea that you're going to handle this. Your body's going to know what to do. You're going to know what to do because what an anxious mom wants is a list. And a plan mm-hmm. and a prescription right. and uh, And what you and I know is that you can give them a list and a plan and a prescription, but then they're going to want another list. You can never right. be overly prepared.
1: That's right. And I think one of the important takeaways for people is just that, you know, whatever you're feeling... Whatever you've gone through, whatever feelings you're feeling that align with grief, they're okay. They're normal. And if we can stop that voice that says, I shouldn't feel this way, stop the guilt and just, you know, move through that and then move on to getting the support and the resources we need to help us move through it. That's what we need. And it's something we can totally overcome, we can work through any of it, but we might need some help. And the first step is just giving ourselves the space and the grace to recognize I deserve this and it's okay how I'm feeling.
0: One of the things I was thinking when you just said that is that in, in internal family systems work, one of the things they ask you to look out for is the polarities of feelings. So the assumption that if there's joy, there's also sadness yeah. that we're going to be coming with both feelings and that yes. right. That's what, yeah. whether you have a traumatic birth or you've had a miscarriage or any of those things, people have Totally polar opposite feelings about parenting and children and babies in general. I want the baby and yes. sleep in. <laughs> I want right,
1: right. I want my freedom. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just kind of from the beginning to the end of being a parent. There's always going to be those polarities. You know, like when we talked about with the gender reveal disappointment. There's the excitement for the gender you're having. There's the grief for the one you're not. And you know, the other things I was thinking through on sort of my list of all the things yeah. that happen is also just kind of like this loss of the previous lifestyle. So even though you're so happy and thrilled to be bringing this new baby home, there is some grief around, but we can't just go out to a bar at 10 p.m. You know, we have to change our lifestyle. We are not going to have sleep in that first year. And then the one I'm really experiencing like hard today, it's my um, middle son's birthday. And um, we have one of those like little digital frames. So I put a bunch of pictures of him on and I was just looking at them this morning and I got so sad because I'm like, I really miss being in that baby phase. Like I am not ready for any more babies, but I miss that. And as excited as I am to watch them grow, there is this grief of leaving the stage behind, you know? So I think there's always in parenting that polarity of feelings and just recognizing that it's normal to have both at the same time. A lot of times we think of it as polar opposites like you were saying, and then it's like one or the other, but now a lot of times we're in both of those.
0: Yeah. I just sort of had this cold feeling while you were talking, which always, anytime my body
1: lights up like that, I'm like, oh, we're
0: landing on something that's really true, which is what it was making me think of is all these kids right now that I know in my life who are graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they're doing this really dramatic change in life stage. Yeah, it was both moving forward and loss, all at the same time. Yes. And I remember when I was in high school, being really infuriated by the randomness of the people I cared about suddenly being rotated off the shift of mm-hmm. my, friend, you know, my everyday friendship that they were going to colleges all over the place, and that. This community that I cared about was going to feel different and that, and that launching off into the world and also saying goodbye to a, to an environment that has been yours for four years, that, that probably if we think about it, having a child is one of those many lifetime events like moving Mm -hmm. and, and changing jobs and, getting married, that probably we as Western society spend a lot of time being like, aren't you so excited? And we end up minimizing the fact that there's loss in there and that we
1: have to grieve loss. I think that's so true. And as you were talking, I was thinking about where this really showed up for me. I remember when I was moving from a one bedroom apartment to you know a bigger house. And it should have been so exciting. Like, okay, you're buying your first house. You're, you have all this extra space. You know, you have more than one bedroom. And it was exciting, but I was really sad. Like I remember walking out of the apartment for the last time. Like I was bawling because change and transition is hard, even when it's really exciting. There can still be grief involved over closing the door on that chapter.
0: Yeah. And I think the more we can just you know, normalize those things, then people don't feel crazy about it. And we don't do to other people what we don't want done to us, which is people just acting as though this is only a good thing. I think people are doing a good job right now with COVID. I think saying, yes, I'm excited that my kids get to go back to school or that baseball is starting up or that we can travel to see relatives. And I'm really anxious and I feel overwhelmed and I'm confused I think the yes and of these experiences, which mm-hmm. I think about grief all the time is like, yep, and also this mm-hmm. is really important. I'm curious in your field, you described it from your own personal experience. How do women become aware, advised encouraged to seek out treatment, right? That's a question I get all the time, which is okay, Megan, grief and loss is normal. It's all normal. I feel terrible. It's when is it not normal? When do I seek out treatment? And I I've said this to you before. My answer is if it occurs to you that you might want treatment, that's good enough. If it comes into your mind or someone suggested to you, they're not scolding you. They're not trying to humiliate you. They're handing you a glass of water because you look thirsty. That to Mm -hmm. me, now I understand in Western culture, maybe that's not how everyone feels about therapy, but in my world, if you are going through a primary loss, something that is really profound, why the hell wouldn't you, you know, go in and talk to somebody who has more expertise on you about what the norms are. and So I'm just curious from their doctor, is it their husband, their sister, their
1: cousin, How do they get, you know, it's really varied. And part of the reason I love talking to people and, and, you know, being on shows like this is to spread more awareness that you should get help. Yes, there's help out there. I think, you know, gosh, I could, I could talk all day about this, but I think, you know, like you said, in our culture, it's not as normalized. I mean, in other cultures, especially postpartum, um, periods, there's so much more support, so much more help. There's in a lot of Eastern cultures, there's this 40 day period where everyone dotes on the mom, where everyone, you know, she doesn't leave the house, everyone just takes care of her and helps her through that postpartum period. In our culture, it's more like you have the baby and no one cares about mom anymore. It focuses on the baby, all those pediatrician appointments. You really only have that one six-week appointment, that six-week follow-up, where hopefully your OBGYN is checking on your mental health. But I still don't think it's great. I still think even a lot of medical doctors are out there aren't really as aware as they could be and should be. You know, pediatricians are starting more and more to kind of follow up, check up on mom, give them one of the postpartum scales that kind of assesses. But even those aren't great because like my experience was I took that postpartum depression scale and I was like, check, 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 fine on all these things, like scored zero, you know, I'm doing great because it didn't really measure the symptoms that I was experiencing. So I think just the more we talk about it and spread awareness and send that message out there to moms, to family members, to friends that, you know, if mom is struggling in any way, she should absolutely get some support, get some help. I mean, and there's all kinds of help I think moms should mandatory have, which is, you know, checking on their mental health. I've been promoting pelvic floor physical therapy Mm. more and more lately, which is another thing that's kind of standard in other countries, but not so much here, but mom's bodies go through so much. And you and I know the body keeps the score, the body stores the trauma. So they absolutely should be getting checked on and getting looked at and finding out what they need to do to kind of rebalance and restore a sense of balance in their bodies.
0: What it's making me, what it's making me think about is, you know, so I often say to people when they're, when they're struggling with the concept of when does grief end and, you know, yeah. similarly, I think probably to your specialty, grief and loss in general has some great stuff out there and some not so helpful stuff that has sort of yeah. down from, you know, the 1930s, 1950s. That that is still being touted. And so we're we're trying to help people move around that. One of the yeah. metaphors that I use about being a griever is like it's be, it's like being a mom, which is, you know, I was not really a mom until I had Lucy. And yeah. she made me a mom, and I'll never not be a mom. And that's how I think about grief and loss in general, which is yeah, once you have, once you have loss, it, you're a griever, that's it. And you know, you learn how to. Parent, you're trying to manage while, it yeah. while being with them, right? While while they're growing and as you're living life, you know, like every mom has that funny story about, you know, doing the car seat wrong. And that you don't do that with your second kid, but you make different mistakes and things are different because that child is different in its own way. I mean, each each way in which we grieve changes us in terms of how we understand us. But part of what I was just thinking is even the process of having a baby, like Mm -hmm. the actual birth process is really similar to traumatic loss in my world, because I don't know if you did this, but I was part of a PACE group, which is a regional organization which has social workers it's a small group of moms all who have babies but essentially it's a mom support group and the very first thing that they do is they ask you to tell your birth story because the assumption yeah. is that it's traumatic and yeah. anyone who you know is around a new mom is going to hear that birth story because they are still processing the narrative content is them coming to terms with what their body just did
1: yeah. You know? And even if it's, you know, quote unquote, a perfect birth where everything goes according to plan, that is still a major trauma on the body birth. is hard. I, <sighs> I, I think I was surprised <laughs> my, I'd yeah. heard it was hard, but I'm like, wow, this is really, really hard. And so it is, it's a trauma your body goes through. And when you add on things, not going according to plan, you know, any sort of fears about is the baby breathing, all of that stuff. It is a lot to process.
0: It is. And I think with traumatic loss, part of what happened, like when my mom died and she died suddenly in her sleep, I got to a period where I couldn't even say she died without being yeah. just totally overwhelmed by yeah. like w- crashing waves of grief. Yes. And part of, part of the work of grief is to learn to withstand those waves in a way that you don't constantly feel pummeled and drowned God. And creating your narrative is one of those things that we do, right? Like we, we say, this is what happened. I I had a woman on my podcast the other day who her brother was murdered and we were talking about how people react to that and how you have to keep yourself safe and not, you know, go into the story with some random stranger at a bus stop, because it will exactly as you just described, trigger your own loss in your body. You and I know because we work in trauma that that's not, that that's not great. Do you have examples of that with your like PTSD or, you know, psychosis? Because, you know, what I'm thinking about is I know that there are many mental health disorders that are really triggered by lack of sleep. Parent, new parent is defined by lack of sleep. I'm sure there are some people out there right now who are listening, who are like, I don't know if this is me, or I don't know if this is my sister. Give us an example of a case that's just, this is so clear. You're not always the person who's going to tick the boxes appropriately and say, oh, yes, I could use some treatment. Your perspective on yourself is that the whole world is the problem, not that you are having a problem with the world. So are there examples that you can think of where, yeah, this is a tricky situation that comes up and these folks should get treatment?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if anything's going on in this perinatal postpartum period, where you're just not feeling yourself, go and get help. There's a website, Postpartum Support International. They are great at having, you know, they're, like you were saying, there's so much to navigate on the internet. They're the one, the go to place where it's international. They can hook you up with providers in your area. And it's so important to go to somebody who is trained in this because I think a lot of therapists aren't and they don't quite know the signs. Postpartum OCD is something that is really, really common and really big. And this involves intrusive thoughts of a lot of times harm to the baby. Um, Moms are really horrified by this and they're terrified to go and say to somebody, oh, I couldn't give my baby a bath because I was afraid I might accidentally drown him. Or I can't be around sharp objects because I'm afraid I might hurt my baby with them. This, is, this makes them feel so much shame because there is postpartum psychosis, which we sometimes hear about in the news where there are these moms who end up harming themselves and their babies. Postpartum OCD is very different. It is not something that these moms are going to act on. It's very, very treatable. So yeah. So I say to moms, you know, if you are having any sort of thought that you feel this isn't right, go get help.
0: Even just giving us an example of what an OCD thought is and reminding them that we are, you know, that there's a higher incidence in pregnancy with OCD that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think people think of OCD sometimes as we see it in the movies as hand washing and checking locks. Right. And actually, uh, you know, it's the intrusive thinking is the one that is, you know, it's, well, it's, it's relentless and it goes probably unnoticed. Once you're washing your hands so much that they're red you know, I am washing my hands in a way that is yeah. normal. The intrusive thoughts, yeah. they, they know that they're relentless. They know that they're suffering with them, but they don't understand that they're wrong, right? Like yeah. they they don't have the mm-hmm. grasp on that.
1: And since I've started doing this work, I have seen postpartum OCD so much more often than postpartum depression. That's not, not to say that postpartum depression isn't still a big thing. It is, but I just been seeing the OCD part it's just, it's really prevalent. And I think now that people are starting to have more awareness, they're getting help. Whereas a lot of times in the past, they didn't. I had a client who, um, you know, she called her OBGYN saying, I'm having these thoughts of harm. And she told her to go to the ER and she was admitted for in the psych unit for I think three days. And that was another trauma that we then had to process because that's not where she belonged. She didn't need to be separated her from her baby. They were just thoughts. They were not things she was actually going to ever act upon. So I think it's really t- tricky. And I think, you know, we just really need to kind of get the word out there more and more of what can happen and that there's no shame in getting help. It's something that you will move through. You will recover from.
0: Yeah. Um, and again, just to say it out loud for the general population, lack of sleep Drives OCD symptoms. Lack of sleep can drive manic behavior. Those are like math equations for those of us who are therapists. One of my clients who has underlying bipolar disorder comes in and seems manic or hypomanic. So they're not totally, and manic meaning what it looks like, not what it looks like in the movies, which is maybe (laughs) sleep and their energy is really high and they're, you know more energetic and their speech pattern is faster than I would normally see. It's the first question I ask, have you slept? How much sleep?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, I, one of the things that's most frustrating for new moms to hear is sleep when your baby sleeps. Oh my God. Um, Because that's so, that's so tough, but, but I like to say rest, rest when your baby sleeps, you know, if your baby is taking a nap, you sit down and read a book. If you can't fall asleep, that's okay. But at least get some rest. I think moms feel so pressured, especially in our culture, not having as much help um, as in other places in the world to, you know, get things done. It's like, oh, but I have all this new laundry now that I have this new baby that's, you know, spitting up on everything, having blood diapers. And it's like, you know what? The laundry, the laundry, if it piles up, it's okay. If your baby's just in a diaper for a couple of days because you're far behind, that is okay. You getting rest is more important. Eventually in your life, you're going to catch up on, you know, the household stuff. It's not going to be piles and piles forever, but you not resting could lead to some really problematic mood stuff that is going to complicate things even further.
0: Yeah. And I think part of what you're describing is sort of how do you manage the five senses experience of the intrusive thoughts, the exhaustion, which again is so similar in grief, which is if you ask someone who is in profound grief, what they think their life is going to look like, it's not going to sound great. Yes. And help them get some symptom reduction. So One example, so you and I met doing EMDR and my experience is people don't know what EMDR is. So let's just talk Mm -hmm. about that for a second. So EMDR is eye movement and desensitization reprocessing, which is a terrible name, but essentially it's a bilateral stimulation of your system. It's allowing your brain to process across the midline using the ocular nerve. So using your eyes, but sometimes we do it with tapping. If someone can't follow eyes, a level of stimulation. So it's usually a traumatic memory, but it doesn't always have to be a traumatic memory. Sometimes we do it with children and the, you know, it's really just about their active state. Julia Samuels, who's this um, great amazing grief therapist in the UK talks about the butterfly hug, which is just crossing your arms across your chest and tapping yourself left and right, because it regulates you. EMDR, you know, brain spotting, left nostril breathing, right nostril breathing. It's essentially, they're all kind of in the same wheelhouse, but they're body centered therapies. And the intention is to take the deeply triggered Memory. And, and when I say memory, I don't just mean like the picture in your mind. I mean, the body centered memory, just all five senses healing. Yeah. Yeah, And, and allow it to lessen its intensity, right? So to allow it to sort of weaken its hold on us. And we just talked through several things like your birth experience. You know, I've done EMDR with a number of people, who still are having flashbacks about something that was terrifying, you know, felt life threatening to them or their baby in the delivery of that baby. Or I've done EMDR with people around the loss of their mother and how intense they miss their mom now. And we, which is
1: a trigger for some mother grief stuff is a trigger for having your own babies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the reason that I'm bringing it up is that there are body, our bodies, as you were describing sort of the intellectual processing of saying to somebody, listen, it's fine if your laundry stays there. What I find is you will know very quickly if that sort of um, conversation is landing with your mom you know, the mother that's in front of you, some of what I say to them is I don't want to have a conversation about the laundry until you've slept a few more hours, right? This whole conversation is going to feel different when you are feel different inside your body. So what can we do to help move the energy through so that things feel more possible? My office used to be on N street right across from the Tabard Inn. And I used to send people to the Tabard Inn to sleep all day. I would be not that expensive, check in, call your mom, call your husband, call your wife, tell them I'm sleeping in this hotel today. And, you know, five, seven, eight hours of uninterrupted sleep is a game changer, as is a treatment like EMDR, as is brain spotting or doing some sensory motor psychotherapy. And what I think is important to tell people is that's not the same as what you saw on like the Sopranos. It's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a weekly treatment that you're going in. Cause I think one of the things that moms feel like is yes. I have a million
1: things, how am I going to get to therapy? Yeah, yeah, that's that's one, two, way, two ways that I work differently with moms than I do with like a general population. You mentioned before, there's a lot more self-disclosure because moms need that like mom village and that mom support. So there is a lot more where I share, you know my own experience with my kids, you know as, as appropriate and, and supportive and helpful for them. And then the other thing, I see them less frequently yeah. um, than I do the, the general person. So they'll often come in, you know, cause they're struggling and we'll meet, you know, a couple times and just educating them and then normalizing what they're going through, giving them some tips and tools they can use, sometimes medication, sometimes not. But after a couple weeks, they generally start feeling a lot better. And then we'll back off the treatment to, you know, kind of like maybe like, monthly check-ins. I have some moms that, you know, like to have it on the calendar. So we'll do a monthly check-in. I have other moms that are like, you know what, let me call you when I need to. And they're really good about following up when they feel any sort of symptoms popping back up, but it works really well. And you know, moms are really, are they're busy. They don't, they have to get childcare to come to therapy and all that. And so they don't necessarily want the traditional weekly session that other people do. So that's another important message for moms is that we can really tailor this to what's helpful for you rather than being a burden.
0: Yeah. And I say that in general, you know, it's, it's the trauma therapist next to the grief therapist in me. The grief is a lifelong process, but the traumatic elements of it can, can shift really quickly. Sometimes with just a few treatments and that, you know, there's supportive therapy around how are you going to build your life? There's this, there's this grief model called dual processing, which is about, sort of spending some time in grief and pain and loss and then oscillating over to restoration and living, which I think is like, yeah, that's what we do. But I think we go back and
1: forth, right.
0: And and when we're in that grief and loss component of things, sometimes we need concrete treatment in there. I I will check my person out when they come in and I'm like, we're going to do a guided meditation so that we can shift the energy in your body so that you can feel different. And I often do that with people who have anxiety as their primary way or anger showing up as their primary way for grief is just allowing them to sort of feel more neutral in their system. I think it's important to remind folks or to tell them if they haven't heard it before that the perception around therapy often is come in and tell me your problems that the actual experience inside therapy is sometimes let's just be in the warm embrace and let me bear witness to your pain. But sometimes it's about, let me pull out that training. I spent all that money and time doing, and let me give you actual real symptom relief. I think when I'm talking to folks who are citing numbers about, well, you know, most people go through grief and they do it a lot, you know, it's fine. And they go through it. It's a natural process. I absolutely 100% believe that. And I don't believe in suffering. And so still right now I'm two years out from my mom's death, which was really traumatic for me. I don't sleep very well. I just Mm -hmm. found a new nutritionist who I'm really excited about working with, who, who seems to know a lot about this kind of grief and about this kind of thyroid interruption and about, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping for treatment there. So I just want yeah, our yeah. listeners to hear that when we're talking about shifting energy through the body, it's sometimes as simple as going to sleep for a bunch yeah. of, I say this to my kid. everything feels different after you slept. I say this to my kids when it's eight 30 or nine and they're like, mom, I'm worried about something. I'm like, I want to have five sentences of worry. And then I want to check in in the morning, only five. And then I want you to go to sleep. And then I want to check in in the morning and see if the worry is still there. right? Because most of us are more anxious, most of us before we go to sleep. But that having said that, I also just want to say out loud and remind folks that there are all kinds of underlying health issues and experiences. It's not uncommon for people who had really traumatic attachment in childhood, parents who weren't there, parents who were abusive, to have that really come up when they have a baby, right? Like there's this complicated yeah. process yep. of wanting to be a good parent and remembering how complicated your own parenting was. Or if it doesn't show up in parenting, sometimes it shows up in your marriage, right? Like it sort yeah. of shows up yeah. in yeah. One, or, one or the two.
1: Something's and- going to come up. It's so emotional, so physical. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that, however you
0: get support, you know, you might not land in the right place at the, you know, you might go on to babycenter.com and find yourself in a grief group or a new mom's group, or that feels really helpful. And then sometimes those groups turn crazy and people go, you know, and they're not so supportive that, that it's a trajectory of support that we're looking
1: for. Yeah. There's, there's lots of different modalities out there. So like, I've had a lot of moms with birth traumas. We do EMDR sometimes just one session and, you know, it's so much better for them. But I had another mom who it wasn't helpful for, like she did not like it. It was more re-triggering. And so we looked into other things and talked about doing some more, you know, Reiki and some more sort of body energy type stuff, which, which was helpful for her. If you try one thing and it's not working, don't give up. There's something out there that's going to help you move through this. And get back to feeling like yourself again.
0: I have stressed it because I think it's true that, that the concept of sort of some of the heart energy that you carry as a new mom, some of what we need to be doing with that energy is sleeping. Are there any other mm-hmm. activities that are important for moms to be thinking about, or, you know, you've noticed are helpful or useful?
1: Yeah. One thing that my hospital, where I delivered, did that I just thought was so amazing was there's a n- nurse there that's also a masseuse who will come around and give like a 25 minute massage to new moms before you go home. And with each baby, I was like, I am not leaving until I get that massage because it was amazing. She came in, you know, she put the, the babies in the bassinet right there, sleeping, and she just gave this gentle massage. And I really just felt like it was. I feel like I would not have been off, been as well off as I was in those first few weeks and after childbirth, if I hadn't gotten that, cause she just really like, it just felt like a reset. And it felt like there's so much attention on the baby after the baby's born, but mom needs to take care of themselves too. So I loved that. I think, you know, if if you're at a hospital that offers that, that's amazing. If not go. Oh, and, and get a massage or there's a lot that can come to your house. The other thing is just moving your body. So exercise, walking. For anyone that's had a C-section, you know that one of the first things they make you do is get up and walk. And it is just so helpful to kind of move it through to have that physical Um, movement in your body. So put the baby in the stroller, go for a walk around the block. There's, there's such a sort of like sitting, not doing a lot in those first few weeks where you're just often just sitting, just feeding the baby, but make a point to get up and do something as you're able, you know, obviously don't go for a six mile run, but you know, just take a gentle walk around the block or as much as you can do.
0: Thank you so much for bringing that up because the notion of touch right. And about the external yeah. support that you can get on your skin, right? Like the first yes. thing they do with babies is they put them on their mom's chest or, or dad's
1: right.
0: chest section that's skin to skin. What I remember saying to my husband and I've heard from so many moms is feeling touched out, right? There's yeah. so much physical contact with children and babies that sometimes there is like a tension and a discomfort inside your body. And what healing massage is about bringing a healing energy, a sense of grounding into your,
1: mm-hmm.
0: into your body. And that just feels like, God, what a concrete, what a, what a gift of a suggestion, because, you know, if you are the friend to a new mom, you can get a gift certificate and send them for a massage, yeah. which it'll take them two years to go get anyway. To but go get, yeah. Sometimes when I suggest things like meditation To clients, they sort of scoff a little bit. And I'm like, I know you think that's an Oprah magazine suggestion, but let me tell you the neuroscience behind what meditation is important. You know, there is a lot of bioscience around Mm -hmm. grounding and touch. One of the things that people report all the time is they didn't know that their back was sore until someone touched it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You don't know where your body is holding that. Yeah. So I
0: love, I just love that suggestion. I think that's such a good one. And it
1: doesn't have to be like a big deal. Like you don't have to go out and spend a hundred dollars. Like one of the things I always laugh when um, moms talk about like not having showered in weeks because I was the opposite. I like showered every day. And that was like my sort of self-care ritual. And I would get like the body scrubs and just like go in the shower by myself for a few minutes. I'd put like the little baby monitor right outside the shower and just use that body scrub. And it just, it was so nice. It was like my own little kind of self-care ritual, my sort of relax, take a breath, wash the stress down the drain. It doesn't have to be this big expensive time consuming deal. You were talking about the meditation. There's so many meditation apps you can get. And I know as a new mom, you're spending so much time like in that rocker at like the wee hours of the night, put in your ear pods and listen to some sort of soothing relaxation type thing. And you know, it'll help you so much and your baby will feel it too, because the babies really pick up on our energy. So when we can shift our energy into a calmer, more relaxed state, they feel that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, all of that sounds so critically loving and supportive, just crucial that we, that we do those things and that we offer those things to moms as we're wrapping up, we're coming back full circle, which is normalizing this. So making sure that you have the social connection. Cause again, What happens with complicated emotions is we are overwhelmed by them and we hold them to ourselves and we end up isolated and alone. Obviously you are parenting your child as your own relationship, how you feel in your own body about becoming a mom and being a mom and all of that is really unique, but it's also not. Women have been doing it for centuries and centuries. And being yeah. able to sit with a group and say, you know, even just other two or three, this is what's happening and having people bear witness to that and be able to handle it and not pathologize it. And I- I'm not saying that's going to happen in every environment that you may instead find that your friend from high school, is super competitive about whose baby is walking first, you know, yeah, then
1: you want to find the
0: right, right. We find- find- That's
1: so important. Yes. I, oh, you mentioned pace. I always recommend pace fit for moms, local support groups, local mom groups, play groups, you know, go to the Jamboree class, join, you know, music together, something like that to kind of find your tribe, your mom village, your mom support system. And if you go to one and you don't click with the moms, try something else. You're going to find some sort of group or, you know, mom friend out there. And it's just when you have someone to kind of talk to and share the ups and downs with just vent to about, you know, the blowout diaper or whatever it is. It's just, it makes it a little bit easier. I have a friend
0: who says parenting is hard enough. Don't sit, don't sit next to people who make you feel like shit about it. And I just love that. Like, and that might include your mom. That might include your sister. it might include your brother-in-law. It's hard enough. You know, it's hard enough to learn to become in this world, figure out your values, figure out your body, figure out your kid that takes a while, I, I would tell you that I'm still deeply in it but I would I don't know that I really felt like I had a handle on who I was as a mom for about a decade,
1: a lot of like,
0: you know, and maybe that's also a lot big. of
1: unsolicited opinions yeah. and feedback and you just got to kind Harrison, of like filter of, that out. Yeah. yeah.
0: I have appreciated this conversation more than you know. This has been really, I can really talk to you all
1: day. So I know. <laughs> well, I love. That. I love that. I
0: really appreciate it. You're sharing all your expertise, your good ideas, and your own personal experience. This has just been a really special podcast. So, thank you very much. Thanks for being here.
1: You're welcome. And if anyone wants to know more, of, you're wondering if you are dealing with a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, you can go to my website. I've got some free resources you can download and get some more information on what the symptoms are and point you in the right direction of getting help.
0: That is fantastic. And we'll put that in the show notes so everyone will be able to find it really easily. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome.
1: So good to talk
0: to to you. Go to the show notes if you want to find out more about Megan's work and the resources that she has to offer. And if you're enjoying Grief is My Side Hustle, can you please do me a favor? Will you podcast give me a five-star review write something in the comments about what you're appreciating it really really helps this podcast get out there for other people to find thanks so much we'll be back soon